Hi friends, welcome to Interviews, Voices of Our Herbal Elders. This is my opportunity to talk to some of my dearest friends, people who have not only influenced my herbal work, but also have had a major influence on the revitalization of American herbalism. Most of us began our herbal work around the same time, in the early 1970s and 80s, when herbalism was still mostly underground, a place where plants actually thrived quite well. I love hearing people tell their herbal stories of how they began their herbal work, who and what inspired them, their favorite plant and healing stories, and I felt that others would be interested in hearing them as well. In fact, I felt it was important to capture these stories before this generation of elders passed on, as we're all destined to do. I can hear the song of a bird, and I can feel the sky. I know that I'm parts of the earth when I see the sun rise. I am So my welcome guest today is my dear friend and fellow herbalist, Kat Meyer. Kat is the founder and director of Sacred Plant Traditions. She's been in clinical practice for over 30 years and is a beloved and respected teacher at universities, conferences, and herb schools worldwide. One of her great accomplishments has been to train clinical herbalists who have gone on to open their own apothecaries, herb schools, and clinical practice. Kat is a founding member of the nonprofit Botanical Mobile Clinic which provides accessible herbal medicine to local communities. And she's the author of the immensely popular Energetic Herbalism, which is rapidly becoming a textbook at many herb schools, and also the co-author of Bush Medicine in San Salvador Island, Bahamas. Kat is a passionate steward of the plants and served as president of United Plant Savers. And she was the first recipient of the organization's Medicinal Plant Conservation Award. And there's so much more I could tell you about Kat but you can find her full bio on her website and also on this podcast. So Kat, thank you so much. It's an honor and a joy to have you join me today. Absolutely, Rosemary. <laughs> Igualmente, uh, without a doubt. Um, this is going to be so much fun. And I love that you really are doing this because we're realizing that archival information and our stories and you know, we're aware enough now to really have these archives live. And so this is such a brilliant project. So thank you for doing it. Thank you, honey. Well, you know, I was seeing our dear beloved friends passing yeah. on and just realizing yeah. we are those elders and that it's so important that that we capture some of these stories. So, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you and I have traveled together. We've taught together at conferences and schools and served together on the board of United Plant Savers. And we've been friends for, I think, over 30 years. But I was trying to recall how we met. And, you know, I actually couldn't remember. Do you remember our first meeting where we met? How? <laughs> well, I remember the first time we physically met. And I'm not certain. Maybe I told you this story. Uh, maybe it's in the intro to my book. But it's quite a profound story that I, I, I really love telling students um, in the sense that so I was in the Peace Corps, and uh, which was fabulous. And, you know, growing up, I was healthy. I didn't grow up with any herbalism. 
Uh, there was no plant medicine in my world, in my mother's or even grandmother's world. And I didn't have a lot of experience with them, unfortunately. So when I went to the Peace Corps, that was the first time that I was given these herbal teas and plant medicine was alive and thriving. And um, so there's, there's a story of, um, you know, coming back and this will lead to my my introduction to you but when i came back from the peace corps you know i thought i was going to work in international development and i went to dc and i went to graduate school and public health and you know i was on my way to really make these changes and preserve traditional medicine and i had this existential crisis while i was in graduate school because for some odd reason, like the second day of graduate school, I found myself elected to the president of the student council, which I did not want. You know, I had to work, I had a life, this is the last thing I wanted. But so there I was in DC and I thought, you know, it was all research, it was all research paper and development. So I thought we are living in the city where all of these organizations exist. So I put together this file and I went around to all these NGOs, like about a hundred NGOs. And I was interviewing um, anyone I could meet about development and third world and uh, healthcare and public health. And I said, you know, do you really believe that your work leaves the paper and, you know, gets into the village? And it was amazing, the honesty of not really or sometimes oh. and this was before i was really aware of that whole um savior you know white people going into third world and i wasn't aware of that but something was not feeling right yeah. um so i left graduate school and i went to work at this wilderness school which is a whole other story but that was amazing but i finished that and i'm like plants you know i went to the wilderness school to study plants wow. and what next and i thought how can i save traditional medicine in africa if we don't even have any like where's our traditional medicine so literally out of the blue in on this mountain in strasburg virginia the oh. california school of herbal study brochure showed up and <laughs> i don't know if you remember when have i told you this story a long time ago, I remember a little bit. Yeah. So it was when you all sent out those incredible brochures that were a calendar. Oh, yeah. You sent the whole calendar and it had all the days and all the field trips. And I got this and I was like, oh, this is, I, I can't believe this place exists. And again, I did not, I had really no background with herbal medicine. So I call the school immediately and lo and behold, you answer. <laughs> and so I kind of didn't know. I was like, oh, is this rosemary? And I kind of didn't know what it all meant. And you know how you put these things out to the universe? If this is there and if this is there, then it must be right. You know, we're, we're testing spirit and we, yeah. we kind of need different affirmations. So um, uh, you said, oh, you should come and this is great and you have a place to live. And here's this uh, friend of mine, Gretchen. And oh. Gretchen was my sister's name. And anyway, so I went through this whole process. And in the end, my notion was still to serve low income. 
to get into a low income, whether rural or urban. And wow. I just thought, how am I going to bring this medicine to these people or to this population or to these communities? And so I chose, you know, another path. And that's when I became a physician assistant um, because I thought I could work in rural clinics, then I'll learn herbal medicine. And that whole story is interesting in itself. But after PA school, I went to NEHA. So I became oh, a physician really? assistant, went back to the mountains of Virginia, because that's where the plants were calling me. Yeah. You know, I still hadn't had, you know, real herbal training, but it was the plants. Yeah. So I was feeling very isolated, very alone. We had no online. There wasn't this <laughs> incredible Instagram community. Yeah. And somehow or another, I found about, out about Neha, and I'm in Virginia. So I drive up to Neha, and that was the first time I met you. Oh, my at God. At a Neha meeting. And you... When you met me, you just shone your light. You began inviting me to conferences. You know, it was that sun in my seed of teaching and herbalism, you know, just as you do and just as your grace, you know, allows things to grow. Um, it was in some community building uh, that maybe 20 of us were gathered for the weekend talking about um NEHA stands for New England Herb Association. The Northeast Herb the Northeast. Northeast, right. Yeah. So the Southeast girl had to travel north to find her flock, but um, that's the first time we met. That's a long oh, answer. Gosh. You know, when you're telling these stories, this is one of the things I love so much about just sharing and listening is to these old stories as the memories just come back. I remember that. And the Northeast Herb Association was formed because when I moved to New England from California, I, I recognized right away there were herbalists in New England, but they hadn't come together. They, it's like they didn't know who was in the holler next, you know, who was over the mountains. Exactly. So it was an opportunity to bring us all together so that we could network and learn and share with one another. And, the, you know, also I remember when you were at that gathering because the light that you carried just beamed out, right? It was like, mm. I think it was two beams meeting each other going, aha, <laughs> you know, we're on the same path. <laughs> Love at first sight. Love at first sight. Love at yeah. first sight. Um, so yeah. definitely. And then, you know, we've used your curriculum in our school and, and then, you know, the rest is herstory um, after the conferences and, um, you know. Yeah, so, you, know, you, you mentioned your physician, your physician's assistant training, which is really unusual among herbalists. And I know that you've talked about it oftentimes, how it's just allowed you to kind of bridge the medical world with the herbal world, you know. And I, I think it's really amazing how, you know, you've used that language and kind of incorporated it into your herbal practice without diluting your practice. It's been more like a tool for you. Do you mind sharing a little bit of, about that and how you've managed to, to weave and bring these two trainings, these diff very different modalities, but bringing mm. them together into like a holistic form? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I consider myself a recovering scientist. Uh, I love science. I love uh, that lens. You know, I, I really think that that is the true psychedelia of our planet when we think of constituents and fractals and that whole molecular expression. 
Uh, it's very, very cosmic. That truly is the cosmology. And so in my, um, in my path and, and trying to put together uh, what does it mean to be a healer? You know, the, the original seed was when I was six in a Catholic school and, you know, Jesus was the archetype and I, I didn't have Buddhism or Hinduism and it was how, how are we healers? And mm -hmm. it wasn't a religious life, but there was always the seed of the sacred. But how do we translate that and how do we learn the language where we can be most effective? So during that time, I thought, well, allopathy, you know, the majority of our population is going to clinics and um, allopathy is the predominant language, if you will. And so I went to PA school at Hahnemann. Interesting. It was Hahnemann Medical School it is in Philadelphia. Um, and, and they had this teeny little glass cabinet off in the corner of the lobby um, with the homeopathic remedies. Um, and of course, there was no mention of homeopathy. Uh, but I did go to Hahnemann and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was intensive. It was two years. And they said, you know, we can do about 80% of what a physician can do. And the PA program was born out of the Vietnam War because here are all these incredibly trained medics. They're coming home. Wow. They have amazing skills. Um, but how do we help them merge and integrate into the community? And that was one of the origins of the PA program. So you got, wow. you know, deep dive into some great clinical skills. And I really sort of wanted to be that country doc where you can stitch and do a whole lot of things. So that was an intensive two years, great internships. And so I'm returning to Virginia and I send out all these letters to doctors. Um, you know, I had a dream. I knew exactly what mountain to go back to. I came back yeah. and... Um, and I sent all these letters and, and I would have been, you know, phenomenal. I was a woman, I was PAs are a lot cheaper. Like I checked all the boxes, right? Uh, you, know, you don't have to pay a visit a PA as much. And so I got all these notes, just, oh, thank you. We'll keep you on the file and et cetera. And then I had another dream that I went to this old, old healer who I had known in Virginia and he said, well, you have to come to this herb farm and I ha you have to meet these friends of mine. So I went to La Dama Maya Herb Farm in Luray, Virginia. And it was this moment of, wow, you know, this is it. Wow. And so I would say that, you know, we have a dream and then there's this dream dreaming us. And when our dream and the dream dreaming us really merge, there's this incredible, you know, synchronicity. It's that moment that's incredibly right. And it was against everything in my body. I made minimum wage. I didn't even have money for gas to go back over the mountain. I had to spend the night in this, you know, crazy old Victorian house. They taught me biodynamics. They wow. had their earth farm and biodynamics. So, you know, I had this nice little plan and, and I'm sort of telling this story uh, gearing it towards, you know, the younger listeners and how do you find your way on the path? And, you know, it, it was, 
you know, I had this plan. I was going to be a PA for like five or six years, learn all the rashes, learn all the techniques that I would need, little minor surgery and sometimes major surgery. Um, and then after I get all of that skill set, I'm going to go then do the plans. You know, you know how it is. I do. The dreams, the dreams just are impactful and they're not convenient. You know, it's that inconvenient truth in a way, but I don't want to allude to that. But um, so there I was, that was the beginning of my training. And wow. then I studied in the mountains and we've all said this as older herbalists without so many teachers easily accessible, we really apprentice to the plants, Yeah, you know, so I'd have my job and I'd go into the mountains and I'd take my books and, you know, we just knew the plants. We were with them all the time yeah. and just studying them. And then, you know, you'd have Norma or you, you, there were definitely teachers without a doubt. I'm not trying to say it was a complete uh, desert, but, you know, it took that was 30 years ago. Yeah, you know, it took me going to New England, yeah. you know, to realize, oh, my goodness, there's yeah. more of me. Um, so the part of the PA is that's a language that's, you know, a magnificent language. And so truth be told, I mean, I have worked as a PA some, um, kind of stepping in, in mutual aid and different actions yeah. and the demonstrations, they kind of put me at the allopathy table because yeah. they didn't have a lot of the docs that happened in standing rock. Um, but uh, the way I thought I was going to use it was really different. But what it did was it enabled me to speak a language that allowed people to arrive and feel safe. Yeah. Oh, she knows what ulcerative colitis is. She knows what the, these words are. I could send them back. And so in some ways it is that bridge and that isn't so necessary today because all of these incredible clinical programs, they're doing deep dives in A&P and, you know, they're getting yeah. all of these skills and, you know, but that's taken an, ev an evolutionary time. And so that was the intention. And I also really wanted to learn about the medications because I know that that's all part of our life. Yeah. Uh, and it was also the discipline of it, yeah. you know, it was sleeping morning, noon and night. I mean, the interview was so incredibly rigorous. Yeah. And so it taught me that rigor and yeah. it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's Tai Chi or herbalism, um, there's something in that process. Um, and the science, you know, is just so mind blowing. <laughs> it's, and, and it teaches you know, those energetics, polyphenols, all the berries, all the antioxidants, they're cooling, yeah. oxidation's heating. And so you then translate the energetics into what those chemicals are really yeah. saying. It's just so, like learning how to speak more than one language, right? You know, like so many of us only really know the language of English and, and that language is so limited. And then when you expand that to learn other languages, it actually allows you not only words, but also expression and feeling. So, and I love what you said. I agree also, like there are a few herbalists who are amazing bridge walkers who really know and understand allopathic and modern medicine and the language of that, and also bridge walk into the natural world. And what you've done, I what I love so much is it's not only just into the herbal world, but it's you take it even I would say even deeper, you know, kind of into the earth and into the heavens so that you really interweave spirit and the dreams and, 
and then you know our our sacred plant medicines and into this marvelous like system it's very very mm. beautiful and you make it accessible to people like every workshop i've ever sat in and i have sat in a lot of your classes is you're able to mingle these traditions in a way in the languages in a way that it makes it easily understandable which i think is why you're such a wonderful and popular teacher you know you take the heavens you. and you bring it down into this marvelous technical language and then ground it in the earth and then make a feast out of it so it's pretty beautiful thank you <laughs> yeah it's it's absolutely our our birthright and sovereignty and uh it's just super cool. Yeah. Like it's just, it's like so amazing. It's like Jim Duke, you know, he wanted to dedicate his life with science to prove these Amazonian wonders and wizards. And, yeah. you know, it is that language. And I think it's funny, even the holistic framework, body, mind, and spirit, sometimes I feel that's still separating. Yes. You know, oh, spirit doses. Well, it's physiologic at the same. Yeah. And um, so it, it's just so interesting to see the evolution. And yeah. um, I, I don't want to say maturation, but it's really more of a consciousness. Yeah. You know, we're really entering such a profound consciousness around the plants. Yeah, so true. So I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, just have you share a little bit about the um, Botanical Mobile Clinic, because it's you know, I know there are several of them that have been started in this country, and it's just such a beautiful model. And I know that you were very instrumental in helping create this. And I know it's something that you're also you're very involved in and also very proud about. So do you mind sharing a little how that worked and maybe even how it began? Love to hear that story. Yeah, absolutely. I'll try not to make the origin story too long. <laughs> you know how we are with our stories. Um so I think it might have started when I had my first crush on uh, Lorna Mana Braddock <laughs> um, yes. and her work. I want to say crush on her work. I uh, want to honor her and respect her. But when I met Lorna, who was an Atlanta-based herbalist, and now she's mostly in Dublin, yeah. Um I, I watched her mobile clinic in her VW van and then her work at the Harriet Tubman um, clinic. And she was doing foot work, like serious, serious foot baths, foot healing wow. for unhoused people. And her theory was, you know, their feet are their home. They have to walk. They have to they have to have foot care and so diabetes and like some serious things so she was outrageous you know what Lorna did she grew up um, in Atlanta during civil rights her parents were amazing activists wow. so she had this in her genes and uh, just a brilliant herbalist and so yeah I when I saw that it really sparked kind of taking me back to that that Peace Corps that service you know, okay, I have my practice, I have my school, and then, you know, it's white students and, you know, really looking at the populations in the communities and, and how do we um, gain trust and gain an invitation. So I learned a lot from Lorna. She was our mentor. Oh. And so we started the free clinic and it, it's hard because 
you know, you really need that invitation, again, to avoid that kind of white savior going into certain places and saying, oh, let's give you free this or free that. It's so incredibly inappropriate. So it's about relationship. And it's about that connection and really getting into the community and having authentic relationships and then saying, oh, you know, this is what we do. So our first place that we worked was a place called On Our Own. And On Our Own was this great facility where folks were leaving mental hospitals and residential programs, and they were on their own for the first time. And it was a daycare place. So you went in and there were AA meetings, NA meetings, you know, is safe place. And so we set up a clinic there and I'm telling you, well, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole with the stories, but that was amazing. And then um, <laughs> I can imagine. Wealth came. Um, and oh, oh, before that, the Pulse Massacre um, happened in Orlando. And when I watched Emily Ruff, our dear beloved yeah. Emily Ruff, how she mobilized and how she gathered her community, I said, let's let's do that so emily came up and she i have we had a training session and she taught about how to work with grief care and all the issues it was absolutely brilliant Great. and then the white supremacist invasion nazi invasion happened in august of 2017 and so the timing was pretty impeccable that we had these resources of how to go into these incredibly vulnerable places and community and how to work with a deeply traumatized community in that realm. Um, so, and then during COVID and Black Lives Matter in Richmond, we did a lot of frontline uh, work with the protests. And um, I learned so much. There is this amazing a native woman, Vanessa, who was in Standing Rock. I met her there, just amazing woman. Um, so I just served her. Yeah. You know, one of the things I've learned is, um, especially a, a, as an elder, to go find who is the elder here. Oh, yeah. And how do I serve you? And I don't, and I'm a Scorpio and I got control <laughs> in my genes, a lot of places. And, and the whole, and a hawk just came in and sat down. So emphasizing that control, letting go of control, the stunning hawk is right out the window right now. Oh. So what Vanessa did was, um, I just served her. I said, what are your needs? Yeah. And so we did a lot of prison packages. We did a lot of, it was marching during COVID. You remember those times. It yes. was incredibly brave. So I love Botanica. When I was writing the book, I kind of passed it on. Um, and so it's been quiescent a little bit. And now I, I actually just had a meeting and I said, okay, well, what's going to happen? So they busy lives, you know, volunteers, super busy. So I'm going to take it back and I'm gestating now. Like spirit, where, where do we go? What are the needs? Um, so it's still profound. We have a huge apothecary and um, we're starting again in that relationship. That's so beautiful. I love how you're always listening to the dream world, Kat. It's so beautiful. Yeah, thank you for sharing that because I think it's such a great model for, you know, many other communities in this country. Uh, there's a there's one that started in Sonoma County as well that it serves. It's really beautiful. Actually, I think was created by the Latino community there. It goes to all of the farms and provides 
both herbal care, but also many other different modalities, you know, and it's all free care, all donated. So yeah, we're starting to see that happen, you know, and, and it's people taking, you know, taking the initiative, you know, communities taking the initiative. Yeah, let's talk about the Absolutely. individual plants right now. Like, I, I always love hearing about that aha moment. And I know there are many aha moments when the plants grab us, but is there, and I know the stories come to us at different times, but just at this moment, is there like a aha moment that you can think of when the plants just called you to them, you know, like where you just, you know, where they just kind of saved you and welcomed you into their magical world? Well, I think I'll leave the Black Cohosh story for the book, and I'm not trying to sell the book, but if people have read that story, um, <laughs> you know, I think I just really have to talk about chickweed. I mean, it's just such an amazing plant that, you know, called to me early on. I do tell the story in the book, but, you know, I was, who really taught me a lot of my herbalism was the Mennonite community here in Virginia. And I worked with a midwife and my midwife uh, friend was really my herbal teacher. Um, and talk about dream world, talk about Scorpio. This woman traveled other realms. I mean, she would wake up before the phone call, get her tea, get her basket, you know, and be, be kind of out the door. And so she was so amazingly in tune. And so um, she did a lot of Mennonite births because, you know, this was not alternative medicine for them. Yeah. If if, you know, they were hemorrhaging, they did not go to the hospital. This was a strict community. So this was the teaching that we had to summon all the forces and we had to be heroic. I mean, this was heroic herbal medicine. And uh, we used a lot of John Christopher's formulas. God bless John, right? God bless John, right? God bless. I mean, I loved his first book. Or So anyway, so I had a lot of those clients. So they would come to me as an herbalist. Um, and this one beautiful young, young couple came, brought their baby. Their baby had this horrific impetigo, you know, maybe three days old, gnarly, just kind of the purulent. And this hawk is just yeah. so all over the window here. So um and heat and just so intense and they weren't going to go to the doctor. And so um, I had had this dream about chickweed the night before. I thought, I don't know. I was a young herbalist. You know, I, I hadn't worked, especially with infants. Right. So I went, I got the chickweed. We gathered it from, you know, our yard, my yard, um, uh, chopped it up, made a compress, put the compress on. I said, I want you to wait here. You know, so they sat, we had tea. I'm telling you, I have no stock in chickweed. Um, when we took that compress off, like two hours later, purulent, it was still red and it was still raw, but there was change. Yeah. And so they drove a long way, but I said, you've got to bring her back in the morning. I really had to stay close to it. And I couldn't, there was a reason I couldn't go driving. That chickweed, <laughs> antimicrobial, anti-infective, yeah. clears heat, energetic. And I have used it so powerfully for so long. Um, and it's so available, it's so available. right? I and mean, it tastes so good. <laughs> oh my gosh, I know it's out around here. Oh. We've been... And snipping it for yeah so there are many aha moments but 
I just so love yeah. chickweed because it is so available. Yeah, I think I can hear at that moment what happens because chickweed is such a mild herb. You know, you never have, there's no counterindications for it at all. And yet it's so powerful. And I absolutely love that you shared with that because chickweed to me is one of those plants that currently is so overlooked, you know, and it's such a healing, powerful, soothing plant. You know, it's just so available. Yeah, it's great. I, love, I always love knowing which plant just steps up and says, aha, this is what we can do. So that's a great one. So, you know, again, this is kind of an odd question, but can you recall like a defining moment when you felt like you were quote unquote an herbalist? Is there just a moment that you could put that mantle on and say, aha, I am? <laughs> well, I guess this is a, a Facebook moment. You know how you post your best stories and you, you're not posting, oh my God, I had a flat tire and I got really angry at somebody. Or, um, and, and I love that he picked this up, but Mark Blumenthal has told this story at different conferences. It's about being a community herbalist. And so when I was out of, you know, PA school and still learning the herbs and making minimum yeah. wage at the herb farm, I had a hustle. I, ha I had to, you know, make more money, even though I was paying $50 rent, no running water, living how we live, yeah. right? Like it, it was, was magnificent. It was beautiful. It was <laughs> and we and we didn't, you know, we didn't have to come up with bills because we didn't want to be doing that. So it was the days in Virginia when massage was not licensed. So I got, you might know this book, George Downey. It was these hand-drawn diagrams of how to learn massage. So I taught myself massage. I got a lot of my friends. I bought a used table and I would go to wealthy Virginia horse country and make a lot of money massaging wealthy horse people. Uh, and then go back, I would do that in the morning and then I'd go back and I'd wander the woods and I'd learn the herbs and I'd study the herbs. So I did that and, and then during that time I would be working with people but I would never charge because I had no training. Um, and then when in seven years, literally in seven years, Rappahannock, Sperryville, Virginia, Little Washington, those folks, my community started referring to me as an herbalist. And that's when I realized I'm literally a community created herbalist because that's how they see me and that's how they're coming to me. Um, and I kept massaging for a while, but really was the plants. Yeah. And so, you know, that's kind of the conundrum of so many herbalists. It's like, yeah, you, you don't quit your day job, but you also have to really, you know, there's that yeah. moment when you step in and you really say, all right. And it isn't new age when I say they will be there when you are in service. Yeah they will be there. And, you know, I don't believe it's all good. I believe it all is. And that isness is that Buddhist. Yes, we're here. And there are many things today that aren't good, but it all is. And there's such a generosity, the generosity and beneficence, if that's even a word, of nature extends so beyond our limited realms, which is why I so love the dream world. I so love that ritual place because I could never have dreamt 
Like the, the life I live now, sitting here talking to you and being the elder. And, you know, I wouldn't have dreamt that. The plants. The plants when you step across that line and you say, I'm in service. And Buner talks a lot about oh. that. And you show up. It's showing up for them. And something shifts. And it's this deep, deep connection. And that's that connection. And your success and your comfort may look different than what your culture. And when we're talking today about colonization and decolonizing our mind, I think that's one place with herbalism, like decolonizing. What does our success look like? What does my car look like? I mean, we all had beat up Subarus. And we didn't have if we like, even had a car. <laughs> I, I had my car for about the first 30 yeah, years. I couldn't go. <laughs> I mean, that, that's why I couldn't go visit these Mennonites. I didn't have I, a car at the time. I didn't want to say, oh, I didn't yeah. have a car. Um, but, and here we are. I've got a great car. <laughs> so, yeah, that's. Um, so basically what you're sharing, it. which I love, is it's uh, it's really what our community says we're herbalists you know it's the same with when we're really ready to practice is when your community right. or your family or others are asking you know and then you and then you trust the plant you step up and say i am <laughs> it's not really yeah right yeah that's so beautiful yeah and um you know and now we have clinical training programs and you know and and i i always liken it to our um, dear Terrence McKenna, you know, he's saying if you're holding the ecstatic dose, five grams, um, if you're holding the ecstatic dose in your hand about to journey and you're not terrified, then you're not in the right oh, space. God, that's so beautiful. And, and he's really expressing the deep yeah. reverence and where you're about to go. And so I say that to my third year graduates on the day of graduation, if you're not terrified, then you're not in the right space, right? Because now you're about to step into people's intimate spaces and you're about to become part of people's lives and really, you know, the, the power of these plants and um, the safety that lies in them and, and, the, and the ways that they change. You know, they may drink one cup of tea and never go back, but something yeah. shifted for them. So yeah, it's, about, um, it's, it's very different. It's so much about trust, you know, and it's about trusting the plants because we're mm -hmm. really in service to them. You've said that in so many incredible ways. Kat, is there, I know you've studied with so many people, you know, and also from very different backgrounds and traditions, but just at this moment, is there like one herbal teacher that you would credit who had a great influence on your work? Yeah, I, I would have to say my last herbal teacher, um, uh, Karen Sanders um, and Sarah oh, Holmes yeah. uh, at a Blue Otter Herb School. And, you know, it's uh, again, you know, I've had incredible, magnificent teachers all yeah. along the way and having on the altar constantly you know it's it's never finishing and that can be a frustration to herbal students like oh the more i learn the more i don't know and that's such a sign of health and life yeah. and and so i think karen and sarah's teaching uh, karen's choctaw and uh as she said i i teach like an indian and uh i you know there's still parts of my um, being my 
control, my way of hierarchical thinking that not only the content of her teachings, but the method and how she delivered her teachings had to really pull apart and it was a disintegration. And, you know, that's the whole idea of the entheogens and, you know, it's the disintegration of yeah. the ego. But what I found with Karen and Sarah was their very teaching had me, I had to rearrange. I had to rearrange certain truths that I held and how she brought the plants in. And, you know, I can't teach that way because, you know, that's what she asks, you know, that's her yes. teaching. And so I can tell stories about it and I can use plants, you know, in that way. Uh, but, and, and she, um, she met me, like, I really wanted somebody to push back and Karen is a mighty, mighty person. And Sarah is, you know, a mighty force in a very different way. So I loved that, um, the yeah. energy. Um, Karen has had, um, so I, Karen has had a, a, I would call her a teacher's teacher. You know, she's had a major influence on American herbalists these days, you know, and everyone who has taken her apprentice programs um, have just talked about really the same, in the same respectful way that you are, is her ability to, you know, guide them down their own path, you know, mm -hmm. and to kind of, like you said, push back. She's a mountain. She is such a force. And even when she would come to right. the herbal conferences, you know, and she'd be doing these workshops that might be two or four hours. They would be life-changing for people. Yeah, she, I also have, will be interviewing her as well for this series because I have, like everyone, I have such incredible respect for her. <laughs> she's a force and she's so unusual, right? She's just, yeah. Oh, and she's hysterical. I mean, wait, I'm not going to tell her story because that is so great. You're going to have her. Her story is pretty mind blowing. Um, and, you know, when she wraps you in her bosom, there is like no other mother on the planet. Yeah. And, you know, I was with other practitioners in this very, very special apprenticeship. So we traveled in a, in a different way. And, you know, doing these plant journeys with her at the foot of Mount Shasta, uh, I, that was the dream that dream dreamed in, I didn't even hear of her. And I was invited to be part of this, uh, by Deb Sewell. Um, and that's that dream. That's that, uh, golden thread. And, you know, I love that golden <laughs> thread. Um, it's so important. And, and can I, I printed out the poem. Oh, can I read do. that? I, I printed it out, especially, you know, just thinking again of the younger herbalists and going forward. And and this is that magic, but this is by William Stafford. And um, there's a thread you follow. It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what are you pursuing? You have to explain about the thread, but it is hard for others to see. While you hold on to it, you cannot get lost. Tragedies happen, people get hurt or die. You suffer, get old. Nothing you can do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. Awesome. And so there's times where I think, where is the thread? And then this invitation will come into place. 
And so I just love that we can call it spirit. We can call it God, Jesus. You know, we all have our lenses of that power um, of our lives. But um, that golden thread um, was introduced to me by Stephen, by Buehler. So I just love. Yeah. Another powerful teacher for us on this planet. Right. He's he was actually the inspiration for the inner voices because when he passed away, for this series that we're doing, the inner voices of the elders. When he passed away, I just thought, you know, we told so many stories. I do have lots and lots of his stories recorded, but I just felt like, oh, this is happening way too soon, right? <clears throat> and it always happens with this generation. You know, it's our time to move on and new, you know, as we're aging and we'll see it more and more. And then the new generation comes. So yeah, just the importance of capturing. So Kat, I know that you've worked in, you know, with herbs for so many years and that you have, I've heard you tell really literally probably hundreds of stories about how the herbs have served in healing ways. And you've done that also in this, just already in our storytelling, but is there a particular story that you want to share with our listeners of when you saw the plants work a miracle, you know, or just some healing story of on any level, it can be in the dream world or on a physical level. You know, sometimes I, I often say, I'll go to my grave in awe of these plants and uh like i still never i'll have i'll have clients respond or students and i'm still like really you know motherboard did that you know i still have this incredulity um and so i think that the latest um I, I had the great, great honor of traveling to south africa and i say that as a great honor my sister worked works for an NGO that works in food sovereignty and working with uh, childhood nutrition. And so that was really the impetus of us going that enabled us um, to travel um, to South Africa. And um, what's what's funny is um, I had met this young herbalist at, at the Florida Herbal Conference a uh, number of years ago, and he lived in South Africa. So I got in touch with him and I said, oh, I'm going, you know, where should I go? What What do you recommend? And so we started this great communication. And so while I was there, he messaged me and he said, you know, I would love it if you would be able to bring um, this sacred white root home. You could save me amazing shipping. Oh. So it's this whole long story. You know, I was traveling with family and a friend and um, and it was kind of a hassle. And it turned out to be really, really heavy. And we traveled with only two um, carry-on bags. Like we did not have extra luggage. But it was the plant. And the, the plant was all about dream time. And I was traveling with somebody who was having these horrific nightmares, just working through certain things. And I was, and it's also a root that works with neurodegenerative diseases. And I was traveling with somebody with Parkinson's. And so it was just this amazing piece of there we were in Africa. And because of it, we went into these incredible herb shops and, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of time, but just having this powder, having this presence, having this root, that's that relationship. You know, how does that happen? And so they, none of them ingested it. I did, you know, because it's unknown and I had to look it up and is it psychedelic and, you know, I didn't know it. So, but 
I, I don't know if that's that miracle story, but the miracle is, you know, when you're interfacing and it's all about those yeah. connections and it's about helping and man, it, it was very, very powdery and it got, you know, just the funny stories of traveling with this. And it took me to many places by asking local people yeah. about this route and their story of the route and how they used it. And, you know, they were like, how do you know about yeah. that route? And, um, and then they would open up. And so it was this um, portal. Yeah. It was a familiar portal uh, that really enabled me to relate uh, to local people in a way that I could. I see the miracle in that story, Kat, quite clearly, you know, uh, because you're following the golden mm -hmm. thread, you know, with that plant here, here you're given a plant and it actually is indicated for two major issues that are pe that people you're traveling with. And you were with a very small group, right? It wasn't like you were with a lot of people. And then also no. how that plant wove right. you into the local communities and took you on your own dream path. Yeah, it's remarkable how the plants do that. But I think in part, so I think that's going on around us in this world all the time and that it's not really specific to herb people at all. Just simply that we Absolutely. open up and are more aware. Like it's like we've said yes to that kind of input, right? And we're aware of that yes. thread that we're holding. I think that's the miracle right there. You are the miracle. <laughs> that's a beautiful story. Well, you know, yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. And you know, it's so funny. We always did we choose herbalism? Who chose who? <laughs> You know, herbalists are pretty audacious, brilliant. I mean, going to herb conferences, we are surrounded by such brilliance. brilliance. I know. And multi-talented people, right? Like I think about a person like Michael Moore or Michael Tierra. They're brilliant musicians, you know, like concert pianists. And, and then they're marvelous mathematicians and incredible scientists and herbalists, you know, and they weave it all together into this amazing... Yeah, amazing what <laughs> mana for the soul, a feast. Right. Yeah. So I think the plants are choosing well and they're choosing more and more and more people because you know, we, we go to social media and I there's just so many incredible posts and making tea and the plants. Um, you know, the word is out. And what I love what Buner was saying is this is that guy in impulse. You know, this is not because it's popular. This isn't because it's hip. It is because here we are at this very, very vital transition time. And this is the way our mother's really taking care of us. The word is yeah. spreading. And of course, there's always the, you know, notion of conservation. But, you know, the plantains, the chickweeds, there is such yeah. an abundance um of these medicines and so you know this is her response and using all of these dynamic uh voices i mean i've just been working with our friends at ecoversity and envision and you know watching you know that whole um shining the light and 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 really that energy that consciousness that radiation of kind of transcendence um and working with the plan so um 
Yeah, it's funny. It's like when I'm thinking about the plants choosing, I, I remember especially going to the New England women's and I'd be waiting in an airport and I'd be like, oh, I know which women are going to that conference. Because, you know, we, we whether it's the skirts or just this air, just this energy. We were, um, and, and we come in all We were colorful. Forms, all shapes. We were like a colorful, diverse, and degrees. you know, floral garden it was really i i know that what you're saying there was just an energy you know you were talking about this wave of young herbalists new herbalists coming in and it makes me think you know i know when we were all starting our work there were certain challenges that we had to face um and maybe you could address that also but i'm also curious what you're seeing as the current challenges that are the young younger generation or the present generation is facing now in their herbal work? It's a broad question, so you can answer that any way you like, but I just like your insights and what you're seeing. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I spoke to, you know, some of my issues, you know, you know, fitting in, integrating science and herbalism and, you know, kind of the long, lonely years of, you know, that isolating, practice but um but that in many ways was such a powerful gift because i had to go to the plants you know i spent all those hours um in the woods you know with friends i mean it, it was hippie carpenters and musicians and we were living the life we we were wealthy beyond means because we had our freedom and you know we were able to live a lot more simply um so because i didn't have so many online programs or different um tools available we really began with the plants and you know i began my practice with 12 plants and i was a radical bioregionalist and i had to know them i had to harvest them i made them i knew them and i stayed that way for a, a number of years um, so I think for today, again, I'm very excited by all of this medicine yeah. coming forward, um, and really touching people that, um, from all walks of life and, and really getting in between the spaces, you know, because in between the spaces is really where that ground matrix, that substance, that's where it's all laid down. And that's what nourishes the cells. And that's why the herbs are, are so subtle yet so powerful. So I think for younger, or I can speak to my students and my graduates, um, you know, why I think we had so much more freedom is there weren't these societal standards of what success looked like or possessions or mortgage or, uh, you know, owning a house till later. And so I'm kind of saddened that, you know, early on, there's just this whole inculcation of, you know, you have to have this or it has yeah. to look like this. And, you know, Honestly, I didn't have health insurance. Oh, life. Until we went into Medicare, right? Yeah. I know. <laughs> I had it, you know, when I got pregnant at my elder mother home birth in a, you know, under, you know, anyway, it was an ecstatic birth, but it was like, oh, maybe I should get insurance. But, you know, we, we, we were not um, bound, you know, and so there's this whole fear. And I can't tell people, well, you don't need insurance. It's not my place. 
but they're coming into a world where these young, healthy people, I, I need to do this to get health insurance. And so, you know, that's different. You know, we did have those freedoms. So, you know, the, the hard part of disentangling and, and really saying, what do I need and, and what is authentic and what is my golden thread? Because I think the world is louder. You know, social media is bringing in so many more images, so many more expectations or, you know, I don't look like that or I don't have that presence or that TikTok just went viral. You know, it's, you know, it's this whole swiping kind of vata, you know, affecting our nervous system. So, you know, it's, you know, everybody has to make that decision and they have families uh, and it's that courage, it's that courage kind of to be poor, if you will. Um, but, but our poverty was so deeply nourishing. And I, and I hope that I'm expressing that in, you know, looking at poverty and not at all saying I had poverty at that time. I'm being very, very mindful, you know, of my color, of my privilege, but I didn't have a car. You know, I didn't have running water and I didn't have a trust fund and I didn't have insurance. And uh, we went and got our own food. And this was a year. It was clearly a choice. You know, um, I want to say that it was it was a choice because any one of us, if we wanted, could have gone and gotten, quote unquote, the regular jobs. But we were trusting of this other energetics that was happening and running through us. And there was also for us at that time, like right now the movement that we're seeing is the movement of the internet. And like you say, so much commercialization of herbalism. Our movement at that time of the 70s and the 80s was back to the land, you know, driven by people like Helen and Scott Nearing and Juliet de Berkeley Levy. So our our teachers and our guides of this other generation were those people who were breaking from the system. I think that's kind of what you're sharing. You know, we we chose to live, really, we did choose to live these very simple lives because they would take us back to what we craved and yearned for the most, which was this relationship with nature and the earth. So. Right. Thank you so much. And thank you for, you know, rebalancing. When I use that word poverty, that wasn't the right word. It was that simple. It was choosing that. And thank you so much for, um, you know, bringing that in and the whole focus on materialism, you know, always been there, but not as it is today. It, it, it's profound. So, you know, my heart is with, you know, yeah. younger generations and all that they, you know, were born into, you know, 20 years ago, they walked right into uh, this time. <laughs> and it, it's how yeah. do you process that? And how do you deal with that? And I am blown yeah. away. I am so in awe. I feel so tended. I feel that we're going to be okay when I watch yes. their teachings and their depth and how they're taking, you know, the alchemy and the distillation and the astrology. And, um, you know, they're taking our foundational teachings and foundational native and foundational um, African. I mean, there were amazing um, black herbalists around here um, that I learned from and had certain, they passed early, but um, so there's all kinds of foundations. And yet I'm just in awe of the creativity and courage in other ways that I'm watching 
um, 20, 30, you know, 40 year old herbalist just really taking it and going further um, and bringing in other aspects. I agree so fully with you. It's, it's very exciting to see, you know, but it's also, I think also important to look at what were the challenges then and what they are now, you know, because they are very different. You know, we, we created a foundation and they're soaring on that and creating a foundation they're really the next generation of plant lovers and earth advocates will stand on as well. It's fun to see that, you know, to know that they're just building blocks that will continue. And so that's why it's so important that we really look at the blocks that we're putting down. You know, it's important to look at the foundation that each generation is building to pass on. I don't think we oftentimes pause to think about it in that way, but it is kind of, it is kind of exciting to see. Well, our time, we're, we're coming close. And I did want to, I had a couple other things I, I wanted to ask you. So you've talked about a number of herbs that I just was wondering um, what plants you would consider like your allies, plants that have always just showed up for you, you know, that are, um, I know you mentioned chickweed earlier. And are there other plants that you just consider your plant allies that you just can lean on and know they're going to be there for you? Yeah. Um, I do want to go back to one thing about those blocks in the foundation because, Rosemary, United Plant Savers is one of those um, absolute foundational building blocks that you and others, you know, others, but your vision, because there is rarely a younger herbalist I see on social media that is not addressing that issue. So that now has become a language. Just as the lens of allopathy, there is now the lens of ecology, conservation, and that's so much in part um, of the magnificence of, you know, your foundation and Sarah Katz and Linda and Susan Leopold and um, all these great leaders, all the board folks and Paul Strauss. And, but that has become a very yeah. fluent language. Um, and so I just had to go back and really talk about those blocks. So motherwort, mother really? motherwort, oh. uh, what's not to, to love about motherwort? Um, I, I, I can find, there's just so many uh, places that motherwort comes up in my practice. Um, and I don't know if you want me to go into the I'd uses. I'd like you to share a little bit about motherwort because it is a, she's a powerful being. Yeah, please do. So I love drop doses. I think drop doses can be physiologic. I don't ever use, um, maybe sometimes in an acute crisis, I might use up to a half okay. a teaspoon, but um, it's a vasodilator. It's a re- she's a relaxant. And she really does embody, like if you were to imagine being held by your mother, physiologically, what would happen to you? And so there would be this dropping. You would drop into your sense of self. You would drop into your heart space and you would have this movement because comfort isn't just sedation. Comfort is moving and it moves the blood and it helps communication better because you're safer. And when you feel safe, you're going to communicate and you're going to regulate. And, you know, safety is such an important part of healing. And so I feel motherwort as a vasodilator, as a bitter. It's very cooling uh, for all cycles. I remember um, 
referring to teachers, Susan Weed was a major teacher of yeah. mine 30 years ago. And for years for PMS, um, I went on her formula and her formula is 10 drops starting at ovulation. And once you stop, start bleeding, you stop the motherwort because motherwort can increase bleeding and it will. 10 drops from ovulation to beginning of bleeding, do that for three months. And I have seen cycles really change over, really get into um, much greater space yeah. and peace and comfort. Um, and then I learned more herbs and got really complicated. And now I'm kind of returning, like my apothecary is yeah. getting smaller. And I'm really saying, okay, bioregional, time's up. We got to do it. It's now. Um, so anyway, motherwort, um, comes it, it, for, for many different reasons and especially for anxiety. Really? And I will say I working with younger people, I, I really see a lot of nervous system disorders, um, because of the world, because of, and so I think motherwort is very, very important there. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of burdock. I do not think burdock is all that bitter. Like it's not one of my no. go-to bitters. I think it's, it's sweet. very sweet. I think it's nourishing and building and, and, you know, the whole doctrine of signatures, you know, I, I say you don't get a certificate from me if you haven't dug a complete down to the tip burdock because you need a tamping bar and, you know, you're there, you're there for hours and it's patience and, you know, it digs deep into the earth and I use it for chronic conditions because the chronicity buries things and you put yeah. layers and layers. And when I'm working with long time diabetes or whatever, you know, I love that burdock. Yeah. It's super gentle. It's super sweet, but over a period of time, it'll go deep and it'll reach deep into that place where, ah, okay, here we are. This is where we really want to work from. Uh, so I love burdock, of course, yeah. dandelion, um, all different forms. Um, in fact, I'm drinking my tea, um, uh, is it's springtime, right? Spring is coming and not up there, but it's coming around here. And so I have oh my, my root blend. I'm, I'm getting my liver. I'm kind of living, you know, in that root time now yeah. and drinking the roots and then some of the mushrooms I put in there. I'm just kind of stirring. And of course, dandelion is a major part of that. Oh. Um, area. <laughs> I mean, cow. it's so me. I mean, I, I think if I were to have one herb that I've yeah. taken pretty consistently, uh, it, it's skullcap. And I've had some knockdown, interesting conversations uh, with herbalists, and I love yeah. dried skullcap. You know, and he say dried skullcap yeah. is compost. Um, but I think dried skullcap tea should be in our water system. I just think it's beautiful. All those horse people that I worked with, um, you know, they would fall and they'd have injuries, but they'd have to do the dressage and get back on the horse. And I found scutellaria amazing for pain, but staying present. And so everybody's different, of course. Sometimes skullcap, you know, will, will put you to sleep. But for me, it's that um, it's such a great pain remedy. Um, and yet by kind of slowing down that roof brain chatter, yes. some of the performers or yes. they had focus 
And so the medicine's in the dose. Um, but for me, I run hot, I'm chatty, I, you know, love thinking. So Scutellaria um, is really wonderful. And we've grown now Bicol. So now I can use Bicol Skullcap, which I've been waiting yeah. to because, you know, so many people have been singing our praises, but now that we're growing it, I feel able to yeah. use Bicol and to clear heat and COVID. I used Bicol a lot for um, COVID time. That's an incredible list of herbs, sweetie. Those yeah. are, <laughs> I can see you. Going. I mean, um, you know, maybe I'll, I'll just wrap up with plantain. And here's a great little plantain story. Um, so the midwife that I learned herbalism from, um, she, um, her son, uh, had stepped on a sewing needle, like a long sewing needle from for a machine. And it was the only time he went to a doctor. He was like 11, went and got his leg x-rayed. Um, and it was way up there. Ooh. So um, he, they said, well, we're probably going to have to go in surgery. And she said, okay, give me two weeks. So we used homeopathic, uh, what is it? Um, uh, sulfa? It's the remedy that expels unwanted objects oh, from yeah. your body because your body wants to get rid of stuff, right? Silica. Uh, oh, silica. It was homeopathic, which, you know, and plantain soaks three times a day and slippery on poultices. And I'm telling you, I believe this it. is truth story. So not coming out, not coming out. And of course, she's a midwife. She had this enamel wash basin. And so we had this breakfast, big breakfast. We're on our way back to the doctor. He lifts his foot and oh. we hear that ping. Um, and it could have been gravity. Yeah. He couldn't walk on it. Um, you know, it could have just been time. I know that plantain Absolutely. was just gently, gently calling that out. And a year later, that same young boy on the same foot got bit by a copperhead did not go to the hospital, echinacea and plantain. Um, and, he, you know, and then a year later, his skin shed. So that boy's a medicine yeah, boy. Um, but anyway, lots of uses for plantain. You know, Kat, I love that you, uh, your plant allies, except for the bicoscal cap, are all those really common herbs that we find in our backyards, everywhere across the temperate regions of the world, you know. That those allies, and for mm -hmm. most of us, that's right. the truth. You know, there are these plants that just are there waving at us constantly. Yeah, I love all of those plants, too. Every time you talked about one, I could feel my heart pounding. <laughs> well, we're sort of coming near the end. I, had, I just had a, a couple things more I wanted to ask you. You know, one is there's so much that you've done, and we've only just barely touched on it in this interview, so much that you shared with the world and gifted the world with. But when you look at what you know, your life with the plants uh, and as an herbalist, what are you most proud of that you've done? Is there anything that just jumps out at you that you just feel the best about? <laughs> oh, I'm going to start crying. Because um, I, I just went into my heart and, and I think it's showing up for them. You know, really falling so, so deeply in love with them that we've committed our days, our lives, our beliefs um, 
it is, you know, it is the graduates, it is all the schools and practices and beautiful apothecaries in Charlottesville from my graduates. It's all of that. When you ask that question and I dropped into my heart and that hawk is now sitting on a flowering camellia. He's still there um, with us? Uh, oh, I mean, I didn't want to be obnoxious and keep talking about this stunning hawk. It has been right there, but he just moved to a flower. Um, I, I, I think being given the honor and the privilege and the space um, to just fully embrace and, you know, drop deeper and deeper and deeper in love with the plants which then acknowledges myself and all of those that I come in contact with and the incredible privilege of meeting so many people yeah. I would never meet um, through these magnificent beings. So for me, I have to say it's the love I feel. And I never would have thought about that. So um, thank you. Thank you for that yeah, question. It's, a, it's just um, always such a reflective question. Yeah. yeah, I hear that very deeply. And I and I feel it in my heart when you're speaking. You know, and I also, when I look at what I think of one of your great accomplishments, I can like pull out lots of different threads. I mean, there's so many things. But I think one of the things is this incredible mm. offering of your new book that you wrote, Energetic Herbalism. It's just such a magnificent book and the way that it ties the different traditions together and makes them so accessible and understandable and also allows us to see how all of these great systems that evolved are all very similar. You know, they, they have their differences, but they really are about understanding the energetics of the plants and each culture kind of develops their own way of communicating that. And you tied that all together. It's such a great book, and I'm just so grateful. Mm. I know you worked on it for almost two or three years, right? It was a really big task for you. You weren't available very much. I know every time I email you, I'm on a writing retreat. You'd be writing away. but it, And I had the great honor. Thank you so much of allowing me and asking me to write the forward for it. So that book has become massively popular. You know, I know that it's a, you know, really referenced textbooks already for people. So yeah, so our, I just want to let people know Thank about you. that book. Do you want to say a few words about that process of writing it, or what? Yeah, um, well, it was an honor for me. You should. I mean, it was your light, Rosemary, that really, it, and that Neha commute, funky little community center. So, of course, you know, going back to origin and um, really, you know honoring the book with having your writing there. Um, you know, it, it's my three-year curriculum. And I knew at one point I would stop, you know, teaching. So essentially, you know, the book is what I teach in three years, um, all in one version. Um, and the interesting part of the process is, of course, I've been working on it for years, writing curriculum. But when the contract came in from Chelsea Green, I had seven months so that was, you know, really a, a very intense process. But fortunately, it was during, um, well, I, I, it was it was during pandemic. So I was blessed with the seclusion of that. But I, I want to say what's magnificent to me is what the reflection of people, they, 
they like the content, but it's the stories. Like more than anything, people come back with yes. gratitude for the stories. And that's what I really want to, you know, maintain going forward. It's got to always be in the storytelling form. And, um, and that's that, that clinical experience. We have the stories. This isn't an intellectual. We have the clients. And, and, and I was thinking about you the other day because I did get this email from this woman kind of writing to Sacred Plan like we're a big institution and had a question about the book and she was from New Zealand and she said, we have a book club and we're gonna, we decided we're gonna spend a whole other year on the book. Well, I immediately emailed her and say, oh my God, I will never be famous enough not to get so ecstatic. And I, we set up a Zoom. I'm like, I, I totally wanna show up in your book club. But the excitement of the stories and where it's showing up. I mean, I'm in awe that it's in its third printing and it's really getting out there. Um, but it's that sacred. It, it's the sacred that is woven in to all of the different traditions. And so, you know, really making the energetics yes. very intuitive, very simple. I remember learning Chinese medicine thinking, I could never begin to study this or teach this. I was about to go to China. And then this piece of land said, we need you. And I ended up buying property in Rappahannock. I was on my way taking that money to go to China. I was like, so, you know, oh, I've got to do China. So anyway, it, so then I finally realized, no, these are gems. These are pearls we yeah. can distill and we can make this yeah. available. Um, because Chinese teachers and Ayurvedic teachers very freely brought it here. Vasant Lad brought it here and wanted to share it. And so these were traditions I felt very comfortable. It was taught by me and it was said, teach this. Well, um, so yeah, it was, it was a beautiful, hard process. Um, and just, um, I'm very excited that um, people really love yeah. the stories and um, there's a, a lot in it. So it's definitely not a cover to cover read, um, but it's been yeah. fun. It's neat how when a book is done, it goes out in the world. Like, you know, like you get birth to it and you work really hard on it. And then it goes out into the world like an adult, you know, it has its own life. And then you find out it's being read by people in all different worlds. And as years go by, you know, it'll stop in and you'll see it somewhere at a bookstore or somebody will mention it again. But I really see it like an adult child that's gone into the world. And the other thing that you just stated that I, I did want to mention is I just love how herbalists always throughout history have shared traditions. You know, it's like traditions have traveled and they're living. Anything that mm -hmm. becomes stagnant, of course, dies. So these traditions are always living and changing and moving. And yes, they are based on ancient principles, but herbalists have always shared those, you know, like. What we're creating here as a Western herbal tradition is is like also will be always changing and share, being shared with the rest of the world. It already is being shared, you know, and people are adapting the ways that American herbalists are doing something. So it's something that I've loved about herbalism, how the plants themselves move from culture to culture. You know, they they move and literally, literally move, you know, they find ways to travel and move around. And the teachings do, too. It's mostly by the elders you know, who pass those teachings on because they're, they're important living traditions. So yeah, I just want to thank you. We've, we've come to the end of our time, but I just want to thank you so much, Kat. I love you so much, you know, and it's always such a pleasure to spend time with you. And it's also wonderful to invite all of these people to be listening in and to share, 
you know, just the magnificence of who you are and your wonderful stories and your gifts to the world. So, yeah. So um, people can find you at your website. Do you want to share where they can um, tune in for that and where they can get in? Sure. Um, yeah, it's a sacred plant traditions.com. Um, and that's our website and our offerings are there. As I said, there's no longer a three year, uh, program. Um, but we're just changing. It's evolving. I'm, I'm really listening. This is sort of my transition year. Actually. Uh, this is the first year I haven't taught the three year program. Uh, so it's, it's interesting. It's really unknown. Just really listening. Okay. Where, where do I serve next? What's, what's the next evolution for that? Um, but there are some great classes on there as well as other resources. So that's sacred plant traditions. And, uh, thank you so much. You have Charlottesville. You have so uh, many wonderful offerings on your course, on your website. And we'll also have the website listed on our on our podcast as well. So thank you, dear. I love you so much. And thank you, all of our friends, for listening. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. This is so fun. Well, it's always so easy to talk. It's the story time, right? Um, very beautiful. Thank you so much, Rosemary. And I just want to give a shout out to your amazing team, Emma and Helen. I mean, it does take a village, especially, you know, as we're elders. And it's like, okay, let's download Firefox. And, you know, all of that is just so safe and supportive. And, um, yeah, Thank I you just really am appreciative. I'm thankful.